I'm Pastor Stephanie. I am the Connections Pastor here at Momentum, and I love being here. I realized first service as I started to speak, I said, this is the first time that I don't have to lead off with, I am an academic advisor at Kennesaw State University, <laughs> and all the other things. I get to say, I am your Connections Pastor, full-time. This is what I get to do, and I love it. So thank you. Thank you for all that you guys do. Thank you for trusting me um, and for all that you do to make this place such an amazing part of my life and what I get to do from 9 to 5, whatever time we, we have operational hours, 6 to 12, yeah, whatever. So it is so, so wonderful, and I'm so excited to, to speak to you today on um, kind of Mother's Day from a daughter's perspective, talking about um, Joseph and the dreams that Joseph had, um, the dreams he had from, from a young boy that carried him on throughout his adulthood. So we have got a lot um, of Bible we're going to go through today. Um, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn on over to Genesis 37 if you have a physical Bible with you. If you have your, your phone, um, we put all of the notes on the Momentum app, so you can feel free to click the sermon notes there today. We're going to um, hit on some different, uh, different parts of the chapter, but the entire account of Joseph is at the bottom of those sermon notes. So as you go through this week, I would really encourage you, go through and read the whole thing. Um, so we're going to hit a lot of it today because we love the Bible here at Momentum Church. Um, but we are going, I would love for you to take a chance and go through and read it all because it is an amazing story um, about how a dream carried a young man through a really difficult, not a uh, really, really difficult life. Not easy at points. So let's jump on in because uh, we're going to get through this. All right, Genesis 37, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, now Israel who you may also hear referred to as Jacob, that's Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. And all the mothers in here sympathize with that. Your kids cannot speak kind words to each other ever. In verse 5, it continues, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. Like Pastor Corey said last week, we're going to like read this like it probably happened. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose, my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So his brothers are, understandably, a little irritated at him, right? Um, they didn't know much about this dream. And so here's our, young, our little brother talking smack to us. He's thinking, you know, we're gonna, you know you're going to come and bow down to me. So we're, understandably, they're, you know, they're kind of irritated with him. Um, but they kind of, you know, they hold that back. Um, but his father thinks, I wonder, could there be something to this? And so um, it continues on to um, 
verse 37, I'm sorry, chapter 37, verse 19, um, all of the brothers are out in the fields. They're shepherds, um, they're, so by nature they are out in the fields with the sheep, and their father sends Joseph to them. Um, he'd go check on them. It wouldn't be un, unnatural for them, you know, for him to go check on his brothers. So in verse 19, this is what the brothers say as they start to see him approach. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Luckily, they had that one brother that was like, no, we probably shouldn't do this. Like, hopefully all of you have that one kid that's like the voice of reason that's like, let's not kill him and throw him in a pit. And so, luckily, there was that one in the group that was like, let's not do this. And so... Um, so they didn't kill him, <laughs> luckily. Thank you, Reuben. Um, but in verse 23, it says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. A cistern, it wasn't like a well. It wasn't living. Like Water didn't feed into it. It was just a place that they would store water so as people came through, they'd be able to access it. Um, really, it was more to sustain life more than to give life. And even at, at that, they, it wasn't sustaining life then. Um, and so my first thought, if I'm Joseph in this hole, is like, oh, snap. Like, they actually did it. Because don't you know, like, siblings threaten to, like, beat each other up all the time. But he's like, oh, they threw me in this hole. I'm going to die here. And, and dad's not anywhere to hear me cry. Like, that would be my first thought. Barbara Graves cannot hear me from anywhere. What are we going to do? You know, there's no, there's, this is not good. And I'd probably start to wonder, like, should I have told them about those dreams? Like, was that a good decision? And you start to, you kind of like start to wonder, like, oh, I don't know if that was the best decision. Should, how is this going to play out for me? Because it's not looking good, not looking good right now. Um, and I think that that's true for a lot of us in our own lives. We have these dreams, and we're going to talk through this, these dreams that God's put in our hearts, the things that he's shown us, some of us as young children, some of us as we've grown and started relationships with God, but those things that God has set in our heart. And you get to a point in life where you wonder, how, how is this going to play out? I mean, there are there's, there's things that happen to us in life, whether it's people or obstacles that come and, and really make you wonder, how is, how is this going to happen? Um, and a lot of times it's, it's things or people that don't want to see your dreams, your dreams play out. Um, we're going to put a pin in it there because we, we, we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. But it's such an important, I think, defining moment in Joseph's story. So as his brothers, they've got him in this hole. They didn't kill him, luckily. Um, but they see this caravan of merchants coming by. And one of them goes, hey, let's not, sell, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. We'll make some money on his sorry behind. He said, we'll see how he likes that. And then we don't have to kill him. We don't have his blood on our hands. This will be much better. And so they sell, instead of killing him, they sell him for 20 shekels of silver. Um, I don't know. I'd probably try to get like 30 or so for my brothers. I think I could have got a little more. But they settled for 20 shekels of silver, and they went on. So, um, and so they, they sell him. He's going to be taken, being sold as a slave. So in um, Genesis 39, we're going to start in verse 1. This is, this is where Joseph kind of ends up. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. 
so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. It's amazing the blessings of God even in difficult times. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of that that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of God, or the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field, so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So we see this transition from ornately robed son to slave in an unknown land of Egypt. And it's shifting from everything he's known. We're also seeing as he carried the Lord into it, the Lord still blessed him. In the middle of what I can only imagine a terrifying point in life, we're still seeing God's hand of blessing. Um, but this, it, just a little bit about Joseph may help in this next part of understanding. Uh, where is Tom? Where's my husband? Tom? Everyone see Tom? We'll take a good look at Tom. Ooh, so the Bible said that Joseph was well-built and attractive. <laughs> so I imagine he looks something like that. So just to give you a visual, he probably fought a lot of fires too. I don't know. And so because Joseph was well-built and attractive, <laughs> um, Potiphar's wife, the, the, the uh, man who he is um, enslaved to, gets her eye on him and is like, hey, I bet you fight a lot of fires. <laughs> Let's do this. And so, <laughs> and so... She, so she is, she's attracted to him, and she tries, she tries to get him uh, to come to bed with her. And um, in verse 9, it says, uh, she's trying, she's trying to, to lure him in. And in verse 9, he responds to her, My master has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And, then, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, because it's the day after day sins that want to steal your influence and steal your dream. Day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So ultimately, she or he leaves his, his cloak with her, and he takes off. He's getting out of Dodge. He's like, I don't want none of this business. Um, and so she was like, well, see where that gets you. And she tells everyone in the house, mainly Potiphar, look what this guy did. He's trying to get in bed with me. You really going to let that stand? You're going to let him do this to me? And so Potiphar, again, probably understandably irritated, throws him in prison. And if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, again? <sighs> again, found himself in a pit. Found himself again with the garment that kind of covered him, the thing that defined him, taken from him, and he's just left. As a man with a dream from his childhood and a God that's not going to let him go. So they throw him in prison, 
And in verse 20, it says, Joseph's masters took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that was held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph, and he gave him success in everything that he did. So he finds himself in prison, but in, like, the best prison situation, I guess, that you could be in. Like, he's got an okay, like, prison setup. And so while he's there, they send um, a couple prisoners, some of the king's prisoners, to him. He's got a cupbearer, the guy that, like, tastes everything the king's going to have, make sure he's not poisoned, and a baker. You know what that is. And so these two guys, they have offended the king. They are, he is not happy with them. Throw those jokers in prison. He's not, he doesn't want to have anything to do with those guys. And so he puts them there, and the Bible says that after some time of them being there, that both those guys, the baker and the cupbearer, both have dreams on the same night. And so um, the next morning, jo- Joseph is walking by, doing his duties, and he stopped. And in chapter 40, verse 7, he asked them, why do you look sad today? He noticed the guys in his care, and he noticed that they were sad. And they responded to him, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. So if I'm Joseph, and I've had this dream of me standing tall and people bowing to me, and i am now been sold as a slave, and now I'm in prison, I'm thinking that dreams probably don't mean too much. <laughs> but this, we see in Scripture, is how we know that Joseph held on to his dream. In verse 8, it continues, then Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. He still believed that there was purpose in his dream, so he knew that there was purpose in theirs. He knew that they were, those dreams were from God, and he knew that God wanted them to have those answers. And so, as we, as we go from here, he, like I said, he interprets their dreams, Good news, cupbearer is going to be restored to his place, servant, the servant Pharaoh again, good things happening, and the baker is going to be hanged to his death. So, short straw. <laughs> so, but both of those things came to pass. Both of those happened. Cupbearer restored. He's back where he was right next to the king's table. He said, baker, not so much. But I imagine... Again, as Joseph sees, and I think a lot of us end up this place in life where you've had a dream, and then other people's dreams come and go. Had a dream, interpret the dream, then they all come to pass, and he's still sitting there waiting on his. If I was Joseph, I'd be like, oh, slap me in the face. But, but Joseph, he didn't. He believed in the purpose of dreams. And he even told uh, the cupbearer, before they came and got him out of prison, after he interpreted his dream, he believed it so much, he told him, he said, hey, you remember me. <laughs> when you get out of here, you come back for me. So he told, so before they even came and got him, he told him that. So he knew that it was happening. He knew that dream was real. He said, because he knew that they were coming to get him, and he wanted him to remember him on his way out. But, but unfortunately, the cupbearer didn't. And in verse 23, it says, the chief cupbearer, however, he did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So God uses him as a tool to help other people realize their dreams while he's forgotten, waiting on his own. That's like a whole different sermon for a whole other day. 
Um, but so important to the story of Joseph. So finally, two years later, after the cupbearer has gone back, they find out Pharaoh has had two dreams. And Pharaoh is hot because nobody can interpret them for him. He's about to start killing people. He's like, someone get someone here that can interpret this for me. No magicians are doing it. No one else can do it. What's going on? And the cupbearer is like, yeah, Joseph. Okay, cool. And so they go and get Joseph. They bring him to Pharaoh. And this is what, and this is what they tell him. They clean him up. They're like, hey, you're going to want to do this, and you may want to do it quick because he is not happy. So in chapter 41, verse 15, it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And again, how we know that Joseph believes it. Verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. And then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. Then the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up afterward are the seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. In verse 28, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what is about to do. Seven years of abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. Yay! But seven years of famine will follow them. Then the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And I wonder, because we think back to Joseph and his dreams. He had two dreams, right? The same as Pharaoh. And I wonder, as Joseph is saying these words to Pharaoh, if he isn't also saying them to himself. Everything that he's gone through, if he's not giving himself that little pep talk, that the reason this dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms, that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and he will do it soon. The matter was decided by God, and he will do it soon. The matter was firmly by God, and he will do it soon. Sometimes you got to get that little pep talk to yourself, right? <laughs> Life goes on. Is it difficult? I don't know what it is that you cling to. We have to find that thing that we cling to knowing that he has, he's inspired those things that you put, he's put in your heart, and he wants you to know that he has declared it, and he will do it soon. So Joseph interprets the dreams, 
And then he gives Pharaoh some advice. He's like, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to appoint some leaders, and you need to have everyone come, bring a fifth of everything they've grown, put it in the storehouse, because stuff's about to get really ugly. And so you're going to want to make sure we're prepared. And so, um, so he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. I think you're smart. And so in verse 37, he says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God. You see, that's a big deal because the, we all, and we, if you have a relationship with God, we all have the Holy Spirit living in us. We know what it's like to walk with the Holy Spirit day in and day out. He said this was before Jesus came. He hadn't sent the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that the Spirit of God was in Joseph, that was huge. So we, we, we take it for granted, honestly, that we get to walk with that every day, but that meant something about Joseph. In verse 39, it continues, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh gives Joseph a new name. He gets a new, I don't know if it's different colors, but he gets a new cloak. He's got some jewelry. He, he ends up giving him a wife, and he gives him more power than most people can handle. But Joseph does because he's wise, and everything that his hands find, God blesses. So the good years come, the good years go, and again, stuff gets really, really ugly. And people start coming from all over, different nations, to buy grain because we heard that in Egypt there's food and we all are going to die if we don't find some food. And so, they, so under, you know, knowingly, uh, Jacob says, hey, I hear there's food in Egypt, and he sends his sons. He sends Joseph's brothers to go to Egypt to find food. Oh, we see it's coming around. When they get there, verse 6 says, since Joseph was the governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bound before him with their faces to the ground. And a dream is now reality. Everything that he had waited through. This was the moment that I'm sure at the bottom of the pit and in prison he wondered, oh, is this, when is this going to happen? Oh, but it had been firmly decided by God. Oh, so, good. so the brothers show up. They send it to him. They bow. And it's, I think, probably one of the things that I, I didn't read before I started studying this. I haven't, I mean, people read the story of Joseph, and I hadn't thought about it before. But I think about the brothers as they bow before Joseph, the dream that they so despise that in just a few chapters ago, they said, remember when Philemon this put, and then we'll see what because becomes of his dream. Well, congratulations, your life saved. That's what became of his, that's what becomes of your dream. You know, there, and there are, there uh, you know, are things in your life, there's people in your life, there's obstacles in life um, and a lot of times I think it's the people that need your dream the most, the things that are, are, are the ones that try to rob you from it. But again, different story, different day. So dream has become reality. He's had plenty of reasons to give up. At the bottom of a cistern in the 
being thrown in prison, being forgotten. And I love that the Bible could have given us the beginning and the end. You know, it could have told us, you know, just the good high points, but it didn't. Because like Pastor Corey so eloquently told us last week, there is a purpose in the process. There is a purpose to the unfolding. And I don't know, you know, where you are in that process, and I don't know where you came from and ended up here today. I don't know where you'll go from here. I feel like there's someone that needs to hear that you are not forgotten. Your dreams aren't dead. There are things that he has planted in your heart and in your soul that it may have been a little bit of a process or maybe a long process, but there's purpose to it. Your dreams aren't dead. And so the question then becomes, what, what are we doing with the dream that he's put in our hearts? Is that dream something that changes your world? Is it, is it a dream that changes the world around you? Does it influence you? Does it influence other people? What does that look like? And so, so the story I kind of want to weave into this was one um, about how, how do we take that dream and live it out and, make, and truly make a difference. Um, there's a young woman at 19 years old kind of trying to figure out, okay, God, I believe that you're real. I've settled on that, but what is this plan that you have for my life? So again, at 19, heard the audible voice of God. Wouldn't it be nice to hear the audible voice of God at certain points? Audible voice of God. Speak to her and say, I am the one that's called you and your work will be with children. So she did. She started her work teaching kids at the church that she was at. Life went on. Not always easy, but she stuck the course went through divorce, lose the house, brokenhearted, but remarried, birthed and raised four kids, difficult kids, I know because I'm one of them. (laughs) I love her for many reasons. But the one that I want to share with you today is that she's taught me how to dream like Joseph. She wasn't in the first service, so it was easy for me not to cry. This is my mom. She's Barbara Graves. She's wonderful. She (laughs) went. She taught the parenting class during first service, so she wasn't in here. Um, because she, I've watched her mentally and spiritually and emotionally um, battle her way through the ups and downs of life, all while keeping God at the um, forefront, really, of her very existence. Um, who she was following that dream, and I am better because of it. She taught me the difference between a goal and a dream. Goals are good. We should all have goals, right? That's why we all set them in the beginning of the year, um, a goal is something that you really you can attain on your own, but a dream requires the hand of God or it is destined to fail. Goals are important. Again, we should all have them for ourselves, but goals change your life. Dreams change yours and others and the course of history. 
And she didn't teach that to me by giving me this nice outline of here's how you change the course of history. <laughs> like she, she did it again by watching her live it. She has lived this dream that God put in her heart as a teenager. And through the ups and downs of life, through the pits and the prisons, she's followed it through. The events were decreed by God, and he made it happen. But I didn't need her um, to be perfect. She, by no means perfect. That she may look at it at times. She's not always perfect. But um, I didn't need her to be perfect. A lot of times she would say this, and I find it true. I say it to people now too. You can learn from two people in a bike race. The person who wins and the person who fell off in turn two. I am the person that fell off in turn two. Let me tell you how to not fall off or at least lessen your chances. But I didn't need her to be perfect. As a young woman trying to navigate this call that I feel like God has in my life, this dream that he's put in my heart, I didn't uh, need to see her be perfect. I needed to see her get set back and keep going. And I think that that's the same for many of us, that the people in your life, and we're going to talk about kids specifically, but people, but kids in your life, they don't need uh, to see you be perfect. They don't need more lessons. They need more leaders. They need people who will say, hey, come and watch me as I lead this life. It's not going to be perfect, but it is in every way going to try to pursue the dreams that God has put in my heart. They need people who watch live out their dreams and see that they can do the same. They need people who, like Joseph, will say, this isn't how I saw my dream plan out, but I'll hold on because these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Again, definitely not a lesson just for moms, but definitely one that I, um, I think that moms definitely have a big part in. You have a maternal influence that I don't think can be replicated. And like Pastor Amy said, it may not be a, a birth child, but there are people in your, in your lives that you mother, that you influence. And with that, you know, what purpose can we take away from this process? process that Joseph went through, the process that so many of us go through. And I think it is this, that we have an obligation to the people, but again, to the children in our lives, an obligation, not a, a, we probably should, to the children in our lives, an obligation, biological or not, children in our lives, to live out the dream that God has put in our hearts and to help them do the same. You got to have both of those. Kids got to see you living out your dream if they think that you're, you know, you're going to be able to help them live out theirs. I truly believe that it was Joseph's dream as a child and his belief that God could, could do those things and carry that dream out that carried him into his adulthood. It allowed him to successfully navigate the pits and the prisons of life. So just three quick little things that I think help us? How do we do this? What does this look like? Three things that we can do to help those kids, the people that you may have needed as you were trying to navigate life. What can we do? The first thing is to be present. Be aware of your surroundings. <laughs> Tell the kids all, that all the time. Make a point to put yourself in situations to have an influence in the life of children. 
intentionally put yourself in a position to have influence in the life of children. That's babies to graduating seniors. And yes, this is 100% a plug for Momentum Kids. I want you to volunteer, 100% this is a plug. Because I tell you what, these kids, we have an hour with them on the Sunday morning. Before they go to bed tonight, they will have watched more TV and played more video games, a longer time spent TV and video gaming than we will speak to them this morning about the redeeming, saving love of Jesus Christ. You may be like, Stephanie, you do not want me teaching kids. I believe that. I've met some of you. I said, well, there are, there are opportunities for you. There are opportunities for you to speak into kids' lives. I tell you what, I'm, I love, because Barbara Grace raised me, I was in Sunday school classes on Sunday mornings. I love being part, I love teaching, I love the Sunday morning experience with kids. I don't get to do that anymore. I said, but I love what I get to do, so I'm not complaining. But there are some of you who have kids, and I love the interactions I get to have with them. It doesn't take being in the classroom, though I do want you to do that, so go on to Moments Math and sign up. But you can still influence kids, know them. You see them in these hallways. Find kids, find their parents. Talk to them. Put yourself, intentionally look for them. Intentionally put yourself in situations to have influence in the life of children. And the second thing along with that is to be consistent. Be consistent in those kids. I know you can't do it for every kid, but for the kids that you're choosing to be intentional with, be consistent. Don't show up occasionally. In fact, show up when it's inconvenient for you, not when it's just convenient. Show up when you have to drive a long way to go to that kid's dance recital, when you have to get up early on Saturday mornings to go to that kid's soccer game. I tell you what, when that kid sees you on that field, especially when it's early, and really a lot of the parents don't even want to be there, is that they will see you. Show up, not just when it's crowded. They, won't, they may not see your face in a crowd, but when you show up when the crowd is thin, that is when a kid knows. That's when a kid knows that you believe in them. And you will have more influence over that kid's dream if they know that you believe in them. I, I played soccer in high school, and I vividly remember running probably very slowly down the field. Um, I heard my name from, from the stands, and I... I, like a, a voice that I knew and I looked up and it was my youth leader and his wife and we did not live close to the church we attended we probably took them 30 or 45 minutes to get to my game and if you know me you know I hate the cold it was cold so it meant a lot to me that they were there that you're going to drive 30 45 minutes to come to sit and watch an hour soccer game where I may or may not play and send the cold, again, the cold, to watch me play soccer. Tell you, every interaction I had with them after that meant something different. Every word that came out of their mouth held a different, a different meaning because I said, man, they don't, they don't just see an obligation as a Sunday morning where they're required to talk to me about Jesus. They showed up for me, and every single interaction after that meant something different because I knew they were invested in me. They believed in me. When they told me, Stephanie, you can, they told me, Stephanie, you can be in ministry. Stephanie, you can influence people. And it meant something to me after that because I knew that I was no longer their obligation. I knew I was their investment. 
be consistent. And number three is to dream with them. And that's, and that's twofold, because that means you've got to be living out your dream. You've got to find that thing. Maybe you know what it is. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're new to this Christianity thing, and, but you feel like God's starting to put something in your heart. He's calling you to do. Or maybe you were like Joseph. You had that dream as a child. You've got to walk that out. I don't know what brothers have tried to throw you into a pit. I don't know who's tried to throw you in prison. I don't know what that thing is that's trying to keep you from this dream that God's put in your heart. Man, we've got to push through that. Because when you push through that, kids see they can do the same. And all of a sudden, the idea that God can give me a dream, that God can bring me through that dream, that God can use my dream, it all begins to be cyclical. They see you do it, and they know they can. Find out what they dream about. And when you find out, pray for it, pray for them, pray for their parents. their parents some parents are going to appreciate someone praying for the dreams of their children parents will be glad to have you out on the soccer field too pray for their dreams and then stay around long enough to watch those dreams become reality I love it because I know Beth and Chad they will watch Arden on Facebook whatever it is they will find those things I look around here and I see people who I know have been through the pits and prisons of life and I love seeing them continue the dreams that God's put in their heart. It's been cool to see good examples of Joseph's in here. But I know there's some of us that you're still in the process. I just want to let you know that the events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Soon will make them happen. All right, let's pray this morning before I start crying some more. <laughs> before we do that, with, with heads bowed, if eyes closed, if, you're, if you say, Stephanie, man, I have this dream in my heart. I've had this thing, and, it's, and I know that it's God, but it's just been difficult to try to take that step because I feel like I'm at the bottom of the and I don't know how I'm getting out of here. I don't want this dream to die, but I don't know how to keep it alive. Or maybe, maybe again, you're new to this and you feel like, I want a dream. I want God to put something in my heart, not a goal, but a dream that changes the course of history for me and those around me. I'd love you just, just look up at me. I'm not going to make you stand up. Just look at me. I'd love to see your eyes. I'd love to pray for you this week. So many people, some good dreams in here. God, thank you so much for my friends. God, I thank you for the room of dreamers that is in this place. God, whether those are dreams from childhood or dreams that you're starting now, Lord, I pray that the things that you have decreed, God, that you would soon make happen. God, and as they go through the pits and the prisons of life. God, I pray that we would not despise those things because we know that there is purpose in the process of what you're doing in our lives. Lord, and as we do, I pray you would make yourself known to us. God, let us see you in the things that you're calling us to.
God, help us be present. Help us be consistent. And help us to continue our dreams and the dreams and the life of the people that you're calling us to, the children that you are calling us to, Lord. And it's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.